0: Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer who writes weekly forecasts at monarchastrology.com and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about both astrology and personal development and living a spiritual life. I'm excited to bring you a conversation I had several weeks ago about the astrological centaurs with a centaur specialist, David Leskowitz. We discussed Chiron, Pholus, Curriculum, and you Now, Depending on where you're at with your astrology studies and practice, a lot of you have heard of Chiron, some of you work with Chiron, and some of you know Chiron's like the wounded healer, but what does that mean? So we dive into that. Um, what that term means and what of healing many of us are into astrology not just because it tells us about ourselves but because of its healing potential the personal and the psychological and spiritual breakthroughs we can have through our study and practice so there's so much to be gained and explored from considering archetypes of healers themselves such as the centaurs which we'll get into soon I've personally been receiving energy healings, talking to astrologers, getting psychic readings, and also giving astrology readings as a clairvoyant astrologer for years now. For those of you who don't know, I channel my information. I see little lights that look like stars that um, spark onto the page or in my inner vision. I see them on people's faces. I just see them throughout my life at this point, but I see them when I'm writing and they help me see where my ideas have resonance. I'm studied in astrology, but I get intuitive hits about the chart and about people. And as I meditate on a chart before a reading, um, the lights will help me know that I'm on track. And once I'm in that channel and I'm in the reading itself, you know, I'll see lights and whatnot. But I do like to take time with the chart beforehand just to really reflect on it and be in conversation with my guides. And then it's important to me too, in readings, I always let people know you know, let me know how this resonates because just because I have this channel doesn't mean that everything I say is going to be true in like an ultimate sense. Um, I do my best, but I'm human, right? So I always want to encourage people to have agency in how they interpret or internalize information, just like you have critical discernment when you read the news, Um When you're getting information from another person, you can take what touches you and what resonates with you and leave behind the rest. For me, it's a no-brainer that getting an energy healing or getting a reading is a great idea. I love interfacing with the transpersonal and with healers and guides and mentors. It helps me on a personal level, but also inspires me as a soul worker and intuitive. Getting perspectives from other people through mythic or symbolic language or through energy work literally keeps things fresh and lively in my life. And I've gone to healers and mentors and guides all along the path, you know, both when I've been intensely struggling or going through something and also when I'm just like curious, like there's this thing going on or I'm having this experience and wanting to get some perspective. And why I'm sharing this is that I want to offer a perspective that engaging in healing isn't about being a wounded person. I have a coach and I bring my granular what is going on kinds of issues to her. And she helps me find clarity and access solutions. She helps me with my self-mastery. We brush our teeth to help our teeth be healthy and to avoid dental decay. And so there are two sides of health. There's the active wellness and then there's addressing a problem either preventatively or addressing one that has already manifested. So the difference between uh, brushing your teeth because you want to avoid getting a cavity that's preventative and then going ahead and like going to the dentist to get a cavity filled is dealing with the problem that has manifested. And I think that a lot of the stuff that we do to promote emotional or spiritual wellness is in a sense preventative of... Uh, depression or distress, or you know forms of mental unease and whatnot, but sometimes it's also just a beautiful you no know, often it 's just an enjoyable experience in of itself, like if you 've been to a sound bath or sound healing you're just like basking in the vibes like it's enjoyable and for me when it comes to my spiritual and psychological life, the language of astrology nourishes me at such a deep level. And I found it applies both for wellness, like enlivening me, entertaining me even at times, making me more aware and feeling more connected to life, helping me have breakthroughs and epiphanies, and also helps me dealing with my issues and my challenges. So I say this to offer some perspective on how we view and prioritize healing and who healing is for. I'd argue that healing is for everyone and it's for the planet. Many sage teachings go that the enlightened person changes the world, where one person's healing is the world's healing. In this episode, I loved learning more about the centaurs and also feeling the vibe of the centaurs in this conversation. David and I share a perspective that the archetypes are not just abstract ideas, but beings. Pluto, for example, is one of the archetypes I do a lot of work with. And in my way of looking at it, Pluto is both a concept and a being. Venus is a concept and a being. So it was a real pleasure to talk with someone who's like an intermediary between us and these beings, these centaurs, someone who has really spent time with them. And before we begin a little bit more about David, David Leskowitz works at the convergence of modern astrology, astral magic, and energy healing, connecting you with the full solar system as vast and wild as we know it to be in the 21st century. His approach is informed by a long-term practice of Buddhist spirituality, psychic training, and evolutionary astrology. Centaurs are playful and life-affirming guides to the cosmos, both down-to-earth and divine. At the centaur space, David seeks to update the old stories and bring you a new way of healing yourself and the world. You can experience this yourself with an attunement, which serves as a portal to the world of healing with centaurs. This is available in monthly groups or whenever in a one-to-one. There is a group attunement coming up April 30th, 2020, which, if you are catching this in time, you can sign up for that at David's website right on the homepage at centaurs.space. And without further ado, here's our conversation. I'm here with David Leskowitz to talk about astrological centaurs, uh, Chiron and beyond. So welcome to the show, David. I'm really excited to have you here.
1: Thanks, Sabrina. So am I. I'm really excited to talk to you about my favorite things, the centaurs.
0: Awesome. So how did you get started on this path of specializing with these centaurs and what brought you to astrology too?
1: Right. Um for me, I sort of discovered astrology at the same time I discovered the centaurs, just as luck would have it. So, um, and as astrology would have it, that basically coincided with the transit of Chiron across my ascendant. So just when I started to look at my own chart, I just naturally saw that cool looking key symbol. And I was like, I wonder what that has to tell me. So. I just naturally became interested in the centaurs right off the bat. Um, but so I got interested in astrology only after some intensive years of practicing meditation and doing sort of spiritual journeying of various kinds. And so I came to a point where I really was interested in becoming regrounded into space and time and was feeling disoriented after some peak ex- peak experiences and so uh, then again by coincidence my friends at the time happened to be astrologers everyone I was meeting after this point in my life you know in the Bay Area about 10 years ago um, all my friends were evolutionary astrologers all of a sudden so it just kind of fell into place that the solution, was given to me that astrology existed first of all, and it could help someone figure out the next step on their path. And for me, um, it was just the symbolism of the centaurs, which tend to be about the spiritual journey. um, They really spoke to me.
0: Wow, so do you associate Chiron crossing your ascendant with this spiritual opening and peak experiences?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, it happened to coincide also with the Chiron-Neptune conjunction, which was in late Aquarius 10 years ago. And so obviously that was like a a watershed moment, like an unusual combination of planets aligning. And so um, I associate that period in my life very much with the transit of Chiron, um, although it would take throughout the year, it would take, um, some time for it to actually cross my ascendant. But that was sort of the foreshadowing that kind of questioning energy of Chiron prodding you on your way to get out there and leave the cave and go on a quest. That kind of feeling. Um, that was the knocking on my door. But then actually, um, one of my other favorite centaur friends, Pholus, had been exactly transiting my midheaven at that time. And so that was one of those moments when I, when I had gotten deep enough into astrology to even know that there were more centaurs. when I plugged Fulis into the chart and I saw that he was exactly in mid Sag on my mid heaven, then I realized that that was like the key that was missing. You know, something so precise helps us time things to, um, to understand the context they're happening in. Right, so. Of course it was also like my Saturn return so that was uh, an operative energy of getting my sense of who I was and you know how I stood um alone from others as my own person but like that only goes so far in feeling descriptive for me so these other archetypes bringing in Chiron and his friends like Pholus they have such specific myths which we can talk about soon that um that that to me was bringing the ambrosia to my door. You know, he was holding his cup of the wine of the gods and offering it to me. And at that point I was able to actually make changes in my life and accept what the centaurs were giving.
0: Hmm. So is there something that you feel connects the centaur archetypes with each other? Like what's the, the mythic quality of the centaur itself?
1: Cool. Very good question. Like basically m- in, in myths, they're almost all connected to the story of Hercules, you know, the, the archetypal human who is challenged by the gods to go on a very difficult journey and eventually to go through all these trials and reach immortality. And many of the centaurs show up on that journey. And so Chiron himself is the teacher of Hercules. And then uh folis is at a crucial point in his journey we can talk about that but generally it's that cycle of the hero's journey that maybe people connect to or not but um it's you know a very archetypal template for us to organize our stories around and so the myth of that quest is really operational for all the centaurs i work with um
0: who are the other centaurs you've named chiron and folis
1: Right. So there's Chiron and Pholus who in the myth are like the two wise centaurs. And then there's a split like in their families. Um. Many of the centaurs who are known for being violent and cruel even are, um, descending from this King Ixion, who is a Titan who did a lot of mean things and was punished. And then his children have to kind of pay the consequences of his actions. Um, that includes Nessus is a astrological centaur who's quite interesting to work with as well. Um, I don't always include him in a chart, but sometimes the situation calls for it. Um, but my favorite other centaurs are the lady centaurs, Kariklo and Okiroi, who are the wife and daughter of Chiron. So they kind of close up the ranks in a nice family unit that when we look at them all together, we can see how they're all contributing to our lives as a, as a one group.
0: Cool. So um, a lot of people are familiar with Chiron. And I also think a lot of people are familiar with Chiron, but basically, often just with the phrase or the keyword, the wounded healer, and people don't really know what that means. Um, right. Do you think Chiron is a good one to start with in terms of because it's yeah. kind of like the bridge to the centaur world because people know Chiron more than the others is my
1: totally yeah that's a great lead in and of course um chiron is the wounded healer and that is kind of his definition in all of our collective understanding but as i work with chiron i see that he's definitely the healer and then also he's um you know, there was a time he was wounded, and a time he worked through that pain, and then he's also just this kind of timeless teacher. That's maybe one of the more approachable archetypes. That there's always someone who's there to help us understand whatever we seek. Um, he's the the guide to our quest. To quote someone on that, um, but the wounded healer archetype, we can at various times in her life feel into as important. Um, some people might not connect with that archetype, and yet they too have Chiron in their chart, right? So it's um something we can definitely, as a good starting place, we can work with Chiron as the wounded healer. Um, I was surprised to learn that even like doctors in our society are taught that as an archetype to, you know, maybe humanize and feel into their own hearts as healers, um, that that's like unknown uh, to taught tool of education for everybody. And we can definitely see that right now playing out in our country and world that kind of the more academic side of being a doctor is being sidelined as we see them as like heroic beings who are sacrificing their lives and actually maybe weren't expecting to do such a thing like that. And that truly is an unfortunate Mm. but timely um, kind of awareness of how frequently everyone you can't kind of isolate yourself from that we all have to become the wounded healer at some point um especially those of us who are working as healers or helpers of any kind
0: Um, that's interesting so chiron is square the nodes right now the mm lunar nodes as we record this and for anyone who's listening to this you know, somewhat far into the future. We're recording this during the time of coronavirus, COVID-19, and a lot of people are in quarantine. So that's what you were referring to with doctors becoming heroic figures at this moment in particular.
1: Yes. Thanks for situating us at this moment in time that will now be the past as you listen to this (laughs) in the future. But uh, this past week, we had a new moon conjunct Chiron squaring the nodes, like you're saying. And so- It really brought this archetype to the foreground that kind of the beginning of this season is marked by this Aries new moon, but touched into the wounding that we're all feeling and everyone's sort of in a grief process right now. And that, like you're saying, it's square the nodes. So as an evolutionary astrologer, I would be interested to see what you have to say on that for sure. Um, But then just to to wrap that together that of course chiron is also square folis right now in the sky so they make a cross with the nodes or actually just a t-square because folis is conjunct the south node right so Hmm. it's a centauric complex we find ourselves in
0: well i haven't thought too much about chiron square the nodes except for that when a planet square the nodes, it's at a major impasse. So it makes sense Mm -hmm. that there's a global health crisis during a Chiron square the nodes experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to keep thinking about that. But one thing I wanted to ask you about Chiron was what role do initiatory experiences have with this archetype? Because, you know, and how does that play into the myth? Because Chiron was injured. Um, And so for people Who like everyone has Chiron in their chart, but are there certain experiences that bring people in touch with their Chiron?
1: Yes, thanks for bringing up that beautiful term. Initiation is really one of the great ways to broaden out the archetype of Chiron as someone who can lead us towards an initiatory experience. And as an astrological transit, you know, it's hard to avoid if you're getting a direct transit of Chiron to your son or ascendant or something personal. Um, It's just how we may interpret that, whether someone is interested in seeing it as an initiatory opportunity or a a devastating crisis, something like that. If that's part of someone's uh, vocabulary for working with the world, then Chiron can be very helpful. Uh, Someone who started working with him in the seventies called him the inconvenient benefic, because he's actually trying to help us, but it's often through inconvenient means. Um, so we think of you know Saturn and Mars as malefic in traditional astrology, and nice planets like Jupiter as helpful benefics. But then, kind of in between, neither here nor there, like the Centaurs are weaving funny loops in space, um, half human, half horse. They're kind of helpful and difficult at the same time. So part of the initiation. Uh, you know, simple health crises can be an initiation into our own mortality and sense of who we really are, coming to what's important in our lives. You know, that's another theme that we're all experiencing right now in this Chiron initiation. Um, but in my own research, I've enjoyed looking at all kinds of spiritual peak experiences from notable people in history, like people who have visions of Mother Mary or intense trance experiences, um, healing that happens spontaneously, things like these meeting spirit guides or having out-of-body experiences, all of these fun things that happen in the liminal realm. Often Chiron or one of his cohorts will be right there in an obvious way in a chart.
0: What do you think about the concept of like a wound that never heals? So like, is that do you think an experience that's true to an extent that the wound that's represented by Chiron is something that never heals or is that like part of the Chiron mystery that it may potentially heal, but that we're impelled towards finding some kind of knowledge to help with that.
1: Beautiful. I think that is the point of Chiron that certainly in the myth, he didn't heal, even though he was, Once an immortal, he was so badly wounded by his own poison, basically, that he couldn't get better. So he had to become an ascended master, sort of uh, exalted into the heavens to escape the, the pain of his wound. But so as a personal archetype that there is something to that, and maybe that's just our own humanity, I think people... You know, in different traditions, have different ways of looking at that. It may be what certain religions call original sin, or you know, um, karma—basic things we can't really escape. But nevertheless they're not forever because we're all mortal. So it's just our touching into humanity, I think that keeps us aware of that we're imperfect is I think the, the main wound. And so that want that, you know, that's like a square in a chart. It causes us to keep going and learn about things. And like you said, even become helpful for other people or whatever way we can contribute is kind of spurred on by that. Knowing things aren't perfect.
0: Um, I'm also curious more about this idea of the inconvenient benefic and Mm -hmm. this like liminal place of being in deep pain or having gone through some kind of crisis. And, um, yeah, just as I'm thinking about the quality of like a lot of people who are on a spiritual path and who have adopted the kind of thinking that everything happens for a reason Mm -hmm. and believe that. Um, because some people don't have that belief, right? But if you believe Mm -hmm. that and you're going through something tremendously difficult or painful, um, you can have that belief that it's for the good ultimately in the bigger picture, but not truly feel that in the moment. Um, and so you're in this kind of liminal space.
1: And I think sometimes, you know, we only have the benefit of hindsight with astrology that when we have made it through some crisis, then we can look back on it and realize, oh, wow, this very clear pattern was happening that really carried the symbolism of what I was going through. So it can even just provide solace after the fact, I think. Um, Maybe if you're aware that you're going through a difficult transit, it's helpful. Maybe it's even less beneficial because then you get really caught up in the darkness of the, the picture, you know, so... Um, I had the kind of good fortune of going through some stuff first and then realizing after the fact that it really lined up with the timing. So that gave me some kind of faith in there being some reasoning and order to things. And to me, that itself was healing, which in general, I think is something cool that astrology offers us some kind of context, you know, whether it's divine will or coincidence or chaos, I don't actually know, but... But let's see, what was your question again?
0: (laughs) Uh, That was it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so perhaps we'll come back to Chiron, but I want to ask about these other archetypes, like who's Pholus? um...
1: Right. Pholus, who is presently square to Chiron at this moment in history, is... A very different archetype. Whereas Chiron, he's famous for living in a cave, but always leaving his cave. The Chironian to um, teach people, you know, how to hunt or find herbs or become healers. Pholus really lives in his cave, and so his name is actually translated as Earth Dweller in Greek. It's what it means. Or rather, sorry, cancel that. His name literally means Cave Dweller. He lives in a cave on Mount Pholoi, and so he's called Pholus. So his identity is really just the centaur in a cave. And so he's really very iconic for what we're all going through now as well as this era of isolation and staying home is being touted as kind of our cure almost. And so Pholos, the one who lives in a cave, what he's doing in the cave is that he's guarding the wine that he inherited from Dionysus and he's guarding this wine, we could say, for the sole purpose of rewarding the hero when they've made it through their trials. And so it's not just regular wine, but it's ambrosia of the gods. And so it is what grants um, immortality to Heracles, to Hercules when he makes it on his way. Um, but because this is a centaur story and nothing's easy, when Pholus uncorked the cask of wine for Hercules. Um, all the centaurs came running, and these were the other mean centaurs who are just killing and hunting all the time. And so they fought, and they were trying to all get this much sought-after wine. Um, and so Hercules, with his poisoned arrows, quickly disposed of each of them, and some fled, and Pholus himself was killed. And that is how Chiron uh Received his mortal wound, so all of this scuffle just kind of came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, at the sound of a cork popping, and so that's the fullest myth. That's it. That's all we know about him, except also that he, um, on his downtime, was a uh, a diviner of entrails, and so that kind of expands the the myth palette a little more when we see that not only was he holding uh, wine, but he found meaning of oracles through looking at livers. So that's kind of a fun digging deeper. You know, we drink the wine and then our liver processes the poison. And so then he was actually looking at livers to find the meaning to questions. Um, so that's just kind of how the the centaurs get very deep whenever we get to the next level of them. How um, does And so there's there's yeah, sorry.
0: Oh I was just gonna <laughs> ask how Pholus expresses archetypally in people.
1: Right. So it's actually not so easy to put a quick word on him, but there's something about our power. Um, if someone has Pholus rising, there's going to be something very like we may associate with Pluto rising, almost that sort of hard to ignore magnetism, but with a Pholus rising, it'll be much more ecstatic. And the word euphoria is a keyword that certain people have found for the Pholus experience that, but in terms of a person it can be like the power that we keep guarded in our cave, and that when or if we choose to open into that power, that there's something unexpectedly potent that brews up. Um, there, we can look at a great example or two from people. Um, but most of what comes to mind, I'm often looking at you know transits and you know the. The time cycle. And when people have Pholus experiences, that's going to be something very ecstatic where suddenly they're, you know, rested from a very Saturnian life and they experience, you know, some kind of mystical reality. And, you know, again, I don't know that, you know, everyone of course has a Pholus in their chart, but so not everyone is going to act on that archetype probably. So that's one of the centaur mysteries as well that certain people seem more apt to dig into these archetypes. And that probably has something to do with the rest of their chart. Um, how the outer planets hang together with the inner planets. Something we haven't spoken of yet is how the astrological centaurs are here to mediate between the inner planets and outer planets. So we can talk about oh, can that. Can you say more about yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, as a astrologer, we're taught the, Seven classical planets that end with Saturn, the great boundary of inner and outer space, and you know he's the guardian of time itself. But then what's beyond the limits of time? You know those are held by the outer planets Uranus, Neptune, and probably Pluto. But. One of the things we encounter when we're doing astrology with the outer planets, you know, they move very slowly. Some people will then dismiss them because everyone born the same year has more or less the same placement. Um, But maybe someone has moon conjunct Neptune and you can just really feel Neptune in them. You know, the spiritual psychic side is hard to miss. But then sometimes it's also then hard to balance such an abundant outer planet energy. And so we can look to the centaurs in their chart to see where it's more activated in a more down-to-earth level. Because so the centaurs are funny planets that weave in a literal sense, they their orbits cut kind of shortcuts between all of the many hundred-year journey of an outer planet, they cut it down into 50 or 60 years. And then they come very close to us by Saturn and then back out again. So they're really a shortcut in the sky. And so archetypally, we can find that if someone is cued into that planet in their chart, then you can kind of get a quick magic carpet ride, let's say, out to Neptune. I like that. (laughs) Yay. And so they're really happy when people find their their magic carpet ride service, you know, and then there's more of us doing that now as we learn about them. Of course, we've only known about centaurs for about 40 years. So it's new to us all, but now that we are keying into their different level of reality, it's a whole new situation. Um, We'll probably get more and more understanding of what the outer planets are doing as we integrate the centaurs in our work and lives
0: i've thought about um so barbara handcloud talks about chiron as the rainbow bridge and that was where i first encountered the idea that chiron is this bridge between saturn and the outer planets and that made me wonder if chiron's association with like a wound that never heals is something to do with the difference between the final limitations of saturn and the transpersonal possibilities of uranus neptune and pluto because i do think that the outer planets have keys for solving problems that mm-hmm. we don't normally possess in just normal conditioned material reality like people can experience healings that you know are more transpersonal or things like reiki or um Energy work or prayer, like these other kind of subtle things that have effects on us that are maybe not considered tangible solutions in Saturn's realm. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Thanks for saying that so clearly. Um, that is why the centaurs are so helpful because they give us pictures and words for things that are really hard to talk about because they usually happen out in the, you know, the void of Pluto or the the divine ocean of Neptune where words are hard to come by, you know, and maybe you've woken up from a very powerful dream and you can only kind of remember what it felt like, but you can't even see the picture anymore, but you, you get the nectar of it. That kind of feeling is a very centaur experience where then there's some way to key back into that portal and get the meaning back. That's where the centaurs, as the Rainbow Bridge, you know, it's not a real bridge, but it's in the visionary space, the centaurs, that's where they're playing. And so they are both, I think, the instigators of those kind of experiences, but also the guides for us to integrate them back into our intra-saturnian minds.
0: I also got like a little bit of like something came to me in terms of Chiron squaring the nodes right now. Mm -hmm. Um where basically the nodes are in Cancer and Capricorn, and in evolutionary astrology, there's always like a resolution node, which is the node that the planet last meet a conjunction with, and you right. follow the no- the planet squaring the nodes. In this case, Chiron move around the chart in a clockwise direction, and the first node you hit is the resolution node. So that's Capricorn, which is ruled mm-hmm. by Saturn, and there was the Saturn Pluto conjunction, and um, the North node in cancer has -hmm. this message about staying home. And so it's interesting that we're all staying home basically because of this, um, illness that has like, uh, gotten the collective to thinking about mortality. Right. Right. And like, there's a sense of death looming in the air. Like if you go outside and just socialize as normal, you are either putting yourself at more risk or you're putting people with immunocompromised systems at risk. So there's Mm -hmm. that, uh, Capricorn Saturn experience and then triggering a movement towards the cancer North node, stay at home, uh, home make at this time, perhaps. And, um,
1: Right. Learn. And then we have FOLUS at the, at the South Node right now. So it's that feeling of digging into the home as a healing place, actually. Like we're all being given this opportunity. Those of us who have a safe place to call home right now, at least can have an opportunity not to make it sound like a really great turn of events. But the silver lining that is being spoken of is that suddenly we are facing ourselves in a new way. And many of us are doing something contemplative. Hopefully, for the first time, or returning to something contemplative that we haven't had the opportunity to touch into because of the busyness of our lives, usually. So, in that regard, the Cancerian return and Pholus in his cave are very apt. And there's something about the South Node that Pholus, of course, is transiting, that the South Node being our karmic um, origin. You know, the, the whatever, if we blend the two symbols, then it's like when the bottle pops open and everything spews out that's kind of the mess we've been pushing back and so now we're exactly facing all of the consequences of how we've set up our society the cancer capricorn axis exactly and since you mentioned the saturn pluto conjunction that recently occurred that it was in january um the centaur cariclo who we can now Introduce formally was she was conjunct the Saturn Pluto conjunction exactly with also asteroid Ceres. So there was this kind of opposite archetype. There was the destruction that we could so feel impending from the Saturn Pluto cycle, but then there was the feminine healing and nourishing of Cariclo and Ceres right there. And so to hone in on Cariclo, she is purely a healer and in the myth, she's a water nymph, but also a priestess and a colleague of Athena. So she has a lot of good contacts, you know, in the mythic hierarchies. She's the daughter of Apollo, so she's naturally like a, into the oracular mode, but then as you know, trusted partner of Chiron, uh friend of Athena herself. There's like a lot of divine energy she's swirling through. Um and so as an astrological archetype, Cariclo is we could say medicine woman. Um and then also there's just the the healer, that someone who's just naturally there for others and whose presence is healing even you know, without even having to do anything. That's kind of the curriculo vibe that there's not like a prescription, it's just a presence. Um, You know, Chiron is more likely to find you the herb or, you know, put you in touch with the expert. And Chiriculo is that very, like you mentioned, Reiki and energy healing. She's sort of the guide of those kind of arts in a more, in a very tangible way. Um, And that's part of the work I do as well, is feeling the actual energies of these Centaurs, but to stay in the astrological, um, Cariclo is less of a strange planet um, orbitally. She has a more regular orbit. And so there's something to that, that she's less eccentric. And she's also the largest centaur planet, so she holds a lot of weight. And so there's something important about her, just basically. Um, So that's good to know that the main centaur is actually a lady centaur. And uh, that could show how the whole game is kind of weighted in that reality. Um, But when we tune into Kariklo in people's charts, there is really, it shows up as this very intangible thing that we are now experiencing as personal space, even the sense of having boundaries and that we need to maintain our distance. These are extremely cariclo elements and that that is part of our healing is just, you know, it's too, it's very, what we are now saying astrologer good, you know, it's not great that we have to keep our distance, but it's quite incredible that as society collapses, Saturn, Pluto, we're met with our own sense of boundary, and how we can fill that with some kind of personal strength, and that's Kariklo.
0: Hmm. I'm really curious what you were saying about connecting energetically with the centaurs. Like
1: Wonderful. That's yeah. my favorite thing to talk about. So <laughs> so one of the fun things that happens as we leave the realm of Saturn behind and we orbit out towards Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto is we have fewer blinders on. And so we can kind of forget some of our conditioning, conditioning being Saturn's game. And so it's much easier to connect with the planet's especially the centaurs, in my experience, um, in a very intuitive, direct way. And so for the past couple of years, I've been teaching a method of communicating with the centaurs as what we could call spirit guides. And in a way, this is nothing new because people have been practicing, you know, invocations to planets throughout history. And magic is very cool right now. And everyone's doing their rituals to, you know, bring in Venus into their life. And the moon is, you know, obviously a part of many cultures rituals. But so the centaurs being new planets didn't, of course, have existing, you know, uh, structures to invoke and work with. So it kind of fell upon me um, through my own inspiration to learn ways of working with these planets And the good part is it's actually much easier to work with them than um, traditional planets because they're not bound by the same hierarchy and they're just here for it. They're like so happy to have um, humans remember them. Basically, it's kind of concomitant with how we rediscovered them in our solar system as actual planets very recently. Now that energy and archetype is being re funneled into our world. And that can be seen symbolically and also very literally. And so I have been, I guess I should say at this point that this is the funniest thing for me to be saying on the record to another person that it wasn't something I like schemed up or was hoping for. Um, I didn't really set out to become that centaur guy at all. And I was just, you know, doing my path and finding ways of understanding that. And then as time went on and I learned more and saw how these archetypes were what helped me to understand the variety of spiritual experiences, then it became obvious that it wasn't just a metaphor, but it was actually the inspiring energy itself was somehow held by the centaurs. Um, And since you mentioned Barbara Hand know she's kind of seen as a very out there astrologer these days. Of course, she was the first book on Chiron I also read, but now coming back to it many years later, I see that she was also really channeling that book and she even, you know, says so it's Pleiadian in some way. Um, But the point of that is that Chiron really is at that level, but we're so used to trying to be serious about things and, you know, doing things by the book or, you know, um, kind of speaking to our authority figures, you know, there's a trend in astrology, a worthy uh, goal of trying to appear scientific. And many can do that. But for the centaurs, we don't really have to worry about that because they're here to take us on this shortcut ride to enlightenment. And so you have to leave some things at the door.
0: Hmm. It's interesting in evolutionary astrology, there's such an emphasis on intuition and feeling like, I mean, and that's how I was taught. And I feel like I'm definitely an intuitive, clairvoyant astrologer. Mm -hmm. And as much as I research and I'm methodical in my own way, there's a definite channeling kind of thing happening. And in order to channel, you do have to let go of certain conditioning of where knowledge and information can come from. I think even like people learning how to be psychic, um, is really learning about how you already are psychic and how you've shut Mm -hmm. those channels off. Like if you get images and feelings that pop up into your mind and you brush them off instead of listening to them, like there's, it's like there's a thought pattern that, oh, this image that popped up into my mind is my private brain experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything about what's happening. And so having to learn how to open up to these messages and then even learn how to discern and work with them is like a new kind of processing that's deconditioned, right? But then also I think there's a different set of rules even that open up on the other side.
1: Right. And part of – so there is just the simple fact of being an intuitive – and we can explore that in different ways astrologically. And you can also then see that as intuitive will have a very clear set of signatures with the centaurs, um, often a very prominent Kariklo or Okirhoi, the daughter who is the oracle. And so she's the, uh, the psychic archetype, really. Um, and she relates to the Jupiter orbit more directly. So there's something about expanding that you know, Jupiter would also be a traditional sign probably of being psychic, but there's something different when you bring in the centaur. But to return to your point, um, I guess you were making me think of the fact that, yeah, in evolutionary astrology, where, you know, we're looking at Pluto as the soul and Uranus and Neptune as really important parts of our energy bodies and subtler experiences. Um, And you may have ways of working with that astrologically, but the centaurs are like, I think it was also Barbara Handcloud who said that Chiron helps us get to the nodes, you know, to realize that experience. So there's like, again, like a boost. So what that means again is like that there's something in your chart that's showing you how you can actualize that energy in a very specifically you kind of way. So for example, I have Chiron in my third house. And so for me, you know, I was, I had a stutter when I was a child and now, you know, I'm speaking to lots of people about the centaurs. And so it's very ironic. So I'm not the world's greatest public speaker, but it's my path towards having to express myself to heal my own you know, that basic wound, you could say, of self expression, right? So that's very real for me. And then everyone's, you know, the constellation of a planet in your chart, everything holds together in a really complex way. So there's no self existing planet, but it's ruled by something and it aspects something, right? And so, and it's transited by something. And so it always becomes very, Apt, like I, I think it's good to give an example at this point. Um, one really fun centaur chart example is Jim Carrey, who we all know and we've ra- we've been raised um, watching him on you know TV throughout the '90s and throughout the present. And he's like a very enigmatic figure because now he's kind of even like a a guru in his own way. But um, he made that movie where he sort of channeled Andy Kaufman the man in the moon movie. And Andy Kaufman was, you know, a famous comedian that Jim Carrey himself was raised um, to revere. And in the movie he was tasked, you know, with becoming Andy Kaufman. So they even made a movie after that about how he became Andy Kaufman. Cause it was such a kind of miracle of film. And uh, first of all, it's cool to note that both Andy and Jim have exactly the same mercury degree. So It was like the right casting, you know, that Jim could channel Andy because he was exactly tuned into his mind of Mercury. But um, Jim himself has Neptune rising. So again, that's like a really apt symbol for someone who's like a mystic actor. It's in Scorpio also, but then it's conjunct Okuroi. So he's able to channel this oracular information. Right. So that just makes a really good portrait of an actor who's able to do something unusual and kind of mystically become other people. And of course, there have been lots of great actors who are able to do that. But, um, you know, this method acting that Jim was doing during the filming there was freaking even the very, uh, he was freaking everyone out. They, they weren't sure if he had totally gone insane and thought he was Andy or he was just doing such a good job of it. Um, but so, anyways, at that time in his life, Chiron was exactly transiting his ascendant and those two uh, important planets, Neptune and Okirui. So it's just a very like compact case study of how Chiron was able to bring him to this next level of his evolution very quickly and kind of um, chaotically because it, uh, people weren't sure what was going on in his life, but he was able to prove his ability to channel Okirui Neptune which is again one of those aspects that probably a lot of people had in around his year of birth, but he had it rising and he was able to actually like, you know, heed that call and, and become that person who could actually show us how to be that kind of oracle and then be filmed doing it because he loves to do that. And um, let's see, I've got, at the same point, actually, Karikla was transiting his north node as well. So it was a very altogether, all the centaurs were involved right there. And that was a career defining time in his life.
0: That's super interesting. So, you do chart readings for people focused on the centaurs. Can you share a little bit about how that works and maybe like what themes people tend to come to you about or what you feel like a centaur oriented reading can offer people?
1: Right. It is an unusual premise for reading because um, it's not something people have necessarily learned about in their chart before. But so often I would prefer to work with someone who's already, you know, working with their own chart, their natal chart, and they have some understanding of the rest of the planets. But I can also just take an understanding of someone's chart without going into, you know, your big three and what it's like to be a Libra and everything like that. But um, speaking to that person, knowing that that's their chart, we can also get right into the centaurs if someone is interested in going into that kind of more vulnerable place in a chart where that is what the centaur aspects mean. Um, Often people will come to me if they're having some kind of spiritual crisis or needing to understand and, on, you know, every astrologer is there for people in that kind of circumstance. But it's more my my stock in trade is to work with people who are uh, seeking, you know, validation, like you were saying, of their own intuitive abilities or certain unusual experiences they've gone through. And invariably, people who do come to me for a centaur reading will have a very clear centaur transit they're going through. And so we don't really even have to, you know, look very wide for... Something to hone in on, and then we can work with that archetype and see how it's you know played out in their life to that point. Because every centaur, like Saturn, has a cycle where we can see the squares and trines along the way and see what kind of journey it's been leading toward, and so we can situate the present moment, you know, in the bigger picture, which of course all astrology is good for. Um, and then also now with. As I become more um, confident in the energy healing capabilities of the centaurs, more and more we're going also into a healing part of the work, which, you know, again, uh, traditionally in astrology, we're supposed to keep some kind of boundary between these things. But for me, uh, I don't mind uh, blurring that line when it's the appropriate thing to do for someone so It's also very simple, you know, as an intuitive, even if you're really getting a reading about Chiron, you may already be feeling Chiron's energy. And we're just putting a a name to that and then also uh, giving space within the reading to receive what that means for you in a very direct, personal way um, that is more like getting a Reiki healing than astrology. So some people may bristle at the even sound of me saying this, but the more that I do this, the more I know that it's the right thing for me to be doing and offering. And so then on the other side of the spectrum, I'm also just offering energy healing with the centaurs that is not related to anybody's chart. And um, on that note that we do group attunements to the centaur energies. So that also keeps the cost down and people can do this of course over zoom and i've done about a dozen of them now and they just keep getting better because the group energy is building and kind of the channels are getting clearer to the centaurs and again these are kind of like new channels that haven't really been opened and to kind of bring it together it's this um even the notion that the centaurs are wounded is part of our old story about what the centaurs were in Greece many thousands of years ago. But the centaurs, you could imagine, they've always kept living you know, in their immortal state since then. And so we can now upgrade our understanding of that and heal the feeling of their being wounded at all. So we can meet them right now as very healed and high vibration beings that you know many would uh, equate with an angel or an ascended master but we don't even need to give it names it's just something you can very quickly tune into if you have that interest and ability
0: i appreciate that perspective also and what you were saying before about the centaurs being happy to connect with humans reminded me of something that i've read Mm -hmm. about angels from i think rupert sheldrick has a book about angels and like the sentiment that I picked up from probably just the introduction or the first few chapters was something about how the angels help us make connections and they're really happy to help us, but they have to be invited, uh, the angels. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we engage them, it's like there's they're available, more than happy to help and have abundant resources to share. I just find that really interesting and to think of the centaurs in a similar way, um, because if we do think of them in relationship to wounding, there might be a fear around them and like a little bit of like a hairiness about, oh, are these beings we want to talk to versus if you think about them in that light that you're sharing. It's a different, different energy for sure.
1: It's just a different energy. Yeah. And so, both have their value, of course, and it's not to spiritually bypass the sense of having a wound, but it's just not to pigeonhole someone. You know, it's part of the resistance, like you're saying, is why would I want to just be told about my wound? Like, what kind of reading is that? That doesn't sound very fun necessarily. And it can really be pouring salt in a wound. (laughs) But um, when we make that an entry point to, you know, just to feel into our humanity it can be much more real. The stories that come out of a centaur reading are immediately very sensitive and, you know, helpful to work through and they're what's coming up for healing at a certain time in your life. So it's just, it's less practical than, you know, planning a wedding or learning about your Saturn return. But it's, um, if you're going through a Chiron transit or a centaur transit, and you've also had the idea of going to an astrologer, then it, you know the chances are that you're ready to work on whatever that deeper issue is and so there's something just uh as a counseling astrologer you know I'm not trained in any sort of therapeutic modality besides astrology but again it's this sensitivity that the centaurs themselves add to the picture just allows it to go to a place of a healing space i think very directly and you know, I'm a very watery Piscean person, so that's kind of my mode with my Pisces moon rising. So that's just my skill anyway, compared to being a practical astrologer who's gonna help you with an election, you know. So also yeah. I'm happy with <laughs> my niche.
0: <laughs> Pisces rising here too. Right. Yeah.
1: It's good to have a kindred spirit there.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a fun, fun rising to have, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More openness to just like magical experiences without having to feel like some kind of logical permission for it.
1: Right. And so that, you know, that makes us helpful in some ways. And then I just, I keep coming back to this idea that, you know, these days it feels like there are fewer evolutionary astrologers and more traditional astrologers, which is just a natural place in the kind of ebb and flow of the transmission of astrology uh, but it's so funny that the um, kind of the young people who were born with the Uranus Neptune conjunction in Capricorn—that's
0: me too. Well, that's
1: that's you. See, it's so interesting. There's probably fewer. It feels like the Capricorn side of that is very pronounced, which is ironic for um, the Uranus Neptune energy.
0: Well, I see these uh, young astrologers like I'm just tripping out now as I'm mm-hmm. like approaching my Saturn return or I'm in my Saturn return. If you count Saturn entering Aquarius as the start. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm used to being the youngest and I'm just getting used to not being the youngest. Um, (laughs) I've been on online spaces since I was 12 and have always had like a kind of just, yeah, like young ahead of her time kind of energy, you know? So like getting older is weird for me, but as I imagine it is for everyone, but I'm always like a little bit like like it surprises me to see astrologers who are younger than me say things online like Neptune is not the ruler of Pisces; it's Jupiter, and they're like very like it's like it it's the traditional ruler, and then there's the modern ruler. Like, why can't both exist if you use evolutionary yeah. astrology techniques? You can use the transpersonal planets as rulers. And if you're using traditional techniques, I understand why you need Jupiter as the ruler for Pisces. Right. And I so agree. it's like, I don't think one is more true than the other, but it's very Capricorn. And I don't know, I wonder how it will, one of my goals right now as I'm diving into learning Hellenistic and traditional astrology is to create a stronger line of communication between traditional astrologers and evolutionary astrologers because they each camp stigmatizes the other in some sense. Um, Not everyone, of course, but there's evolutionary astrologers who like guffaw at like... The traditional astrologers like oh they're just stuck in saturn's rome and then there's right. people who are traditional that are like stigmatized evolutionary astrology and think we're just like out to lunch or something i don't know and it's like i i actually am developing a deeper sympathy for hellenistic astrology and i'm steeped in evolutionary and have like a mm-hmm. deep love and experience for it so i just hope that as time goes on i can build a bridge there. Um, Sorry that I just went on a whole rant there, but...
1: That's beautiful. Thank you for telling me your perspective as someone who is situated where you are. Um, Because, you know, even I'm 10 years older than you or so. And when I was studying astrology, there hadn't yet been this renaissance of Hellenistic astrology, you know, and like I was saying, I happen to meet only people who are trained in the same school that you are. And so we also were taught to you know, think of the traditional rulerships and things as useful but um, limiting. and But also more than technique, it's the worldview that I think really matters. And so I think it stands that um, the medieval outlook is not the same as the modern outlook. And this is not to say those who practice those techniques have a medieval outlook because, of course, it's actually very radical bunch of people who seem to be doing traditional astrology these days in some ways, which is, again, a wonderful Uranus, Neptune, and Capricorn paradox. Um, But I think we can't throw out the value of modern and evolutionary astrology, especially is now that we're in a very unique place to work with new planets, where obviously this is important segue. I think we're not trying to use centaurs in a traditional manner. I'm not someone who thinks, you know, Chiron rules a sign or something silly like that. And, and that was like a necessary thought along the way. But so we must use new techniques, not old techniques for to really get the meaning out of outer planets and centaurs. Mm. So it hasn't been really figured out yet, but it doesn't mean we have to find it in an old text either.
0: Mm. So much to think about. (laughs) So, um, what advice would you have for anyone who wants to get deeper into working with the centaurs besides getting a reading from you, which they should, um, what are some ways to like open up to that? Absolutely.
1: Wonderful question. So it's the same idea of exploration and mystery I think is the only necessary, uh, prerequisite to working with the the centaur. And so obviously just look at where the centaur is in your chart (laughs) by going to astro.com and putting in those numbers, and um, which we can include with the podcast. And um, obviously, you can just kind of see what happened when a uh, planet you're familiar with has tr- uh, transited over, you know, curriculum in your chart. Did you have a notable experience, you know, something that can bring you into that energy? Um, and then if you're something of an intuitive or devotional type, you can just... Introduce yourself to that planet and see what they have to tell you. You know, you don't even have to do astrology with them. Is the fun thing? Uh, it's a great question. In terms of, I will give you a secret right now. My one of my favorite. Techniques for working with centaurs is if you've had a very notable experience in your life that is something of a breakthrough moment, you know, whether it was a crisis or an initiation, um, you can look at that chart and the transits. But what you can also do again on astro.com is you can do a Davison relationship chart for yourself in that moment. And then that brings you to the halfway point between uh, your birth and the rebirth, let's say. And then The chart of that with the centaurs is extremely evocative. And for me, that's one of my main go-tos for looking at especially um, famous people who've gone through uh, things that we remember in history. But so that's a fun way of doing that. And you can look at that chart in the same way that you would interpret a regular chart, but there's something new in there that speaks to kind of the weave between your life and the point you were reaching in your life. Something how karma is... out. uh, (laughs) how karma is unfolding in a graceful way. I think that's one of the keywords I haven't mentioned yet for the centaurs in general, where we look at um, the birth chart as karma, you know, in traditional Eastern astrology, at least um, and evolutionary astrology that uh, you know, karma is delimited by Saturn and then everything beyond Saturn is something outside of karma. Um, And so the centaurs for me are, the opposite of karma. And that is grace to use kind of maybe a Christian word, but the idea of grace is what relieves us of karma, um, whether it's divine or just a natural process even. And so when we go through a centaur experience, we get this kind of waterfall of grace feeling and something ecstatic happens. Um, Whether again, that's the centaur doing it or just the timing happens to align with some other kind of cosmic unfolding. I don't know. But um so by looking at your centaur uh timeline in your life, you can see maybe when the veil kind of thinned at certain times and you were able to glimpse into the, you know, under the hood, we could mix a lot of metaphors, see how the cosmos is working for you. And so, I really just recommend exploring all those key points in your life when something different was happening, but not something like that you could tell was just like a Mars transit, but something that doesn't really fit the image you know, like for me, looking back at certain things, I had um a Chiron Pluto conjunction at my midheaven when I was in my late teens, and that was definitely the main obvious transit looking back on it, and that was when I had like the experience that led me to you know, look into spiritual things at all, right? When I got this experience of something more than myself. And so that was very easily shown by Chiron being conjunct Pluto and my midheaven, which later like expressed when Pholus transited my midheaven in adulthood. But so just kind of playing with your own timeline and seeing how things were being revealed to you, then you can look at centaurs and, you know, pretty certainly they will have a story to tell you.
0: Hmm. This has been super illuminating and actually to the, um, I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing it. Is it Chiriculo?
1: Yeah. charicolo, like charisma.
0: Cariculo.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. I've never said it out loud. (laughs) Cariculo. Okay. So that feeling of presence, um, and grace. I have felt mm. that while we've been talking. Um, so thank right. you for bringing that and yeah. channeling that with us. Um, how can Thanks people for picking that up? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely feel it. Um, how can people find and work with you?
1: So all you have to do is go to centaurs.space. That's my website and everything is there. I do readings and attunements quite regularly. You can organize a one-on-one session or you can join our monthly group online meetings doing the curriculum way and just drop me a line if you're interested and see what we can do together. Also, I should say that I do the whole like magic thing too. So for those of you who like actual objects that you can hold in your Saturnian hand, um, I make amulets that are uh, in the tradition of making talismans of the planets. And I've worked with these planetary principles to make astrologically timed works of art that uh are charged with the energy. And they're less about, you know, so you can get a job or a, you know, a certain goal that a talisman might be for. And they're more to have that energy that Sabrina was saying she's feeling right now to have that kind of hold with you if you need to tune back into it so i also make those available which you can see at centaurs.space thanks Beautiful. <laughs>
0: thanks so much for sharing your knowledge about the centaurs with us today and um opening up that magic carpet ride
1: yay thanks so much for having me on sabrina look forward mm-hmm. to talking to you again sometime
0: Isn't that so good? I went to look up my asteroids after this on astro.com to see where I have curricula. And I found out that she's actually prominent in my chart. And that was super cool. If you've been listening to this podcast for a little bit and you have something to say, I would love to read your review. You can leave a review on Apple podcasts or iTunes and if you take a screenshot before you click submit and email that over to me at Sabrina at monarchastrology.com. I will take down your email and I'm working on a free gift to send to podcast reviewers, so I'll send that to you when it's ready. And if you'd like to connect with me, I am available for readings and you can learn more about my readings and my weekly forecast at monarchastrology.com as as well as an evolutionary astrology intensive that I teach several times a year. I have one right now that's currently in session. And um, I really love sharing the language of astrology with people. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a beautiful day.